This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within 24 hours. So if you're a podcast, want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's Podgo dot C-O. And be sure to enter our name in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. See you guys in the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to episode number 66, where today we're going to be talking about gravity waves wow this was something quite kind of interesting because i believe parker can tell the story of how we thought of this episode because well, we didn't actually we were right? on instagram live <laughs> exactly on monday right after the last episode got posted and then somebody in the comments said do gravitational waves and i was like okay sounds like a fun podcast and so now mm -hmm. we're here talking about gravitational waves yeah, I mean, gravitational waves, especially recently, because, you know, um, pre or not not even pre-Einstein, but even after Einstein released, like, his general relativity, that was a big question mark, right? Like, even though gravity was understood, but him saying that, hey, listen, it's not really, you know, it's not really an attractive force. It's just some consequence of mass traveling on this manifold that we call space-time. Like, that idea was kind of new, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, this whole transition into today where we now you know accept gravitational waves as something because mm -hmm. of LIGO and things like that that we're going to get into mm -hmm. and black holes that we now have seen and yeah. witnessed and the history of physics yeah. and how physics unfolded is one of the most like interesting things ever because you learn a lot of things in school obviously we didn't know these things and like since the dawn of time and a lot of these things have come up very recently which is why quantum mechanics is so exciting right because mm -hmm. these things have you know in the big picture of of the science timeline yeah quantum mechanics just came out and so and so we Very have recent. no idea like, like 80s like you know, what is well no not the 80s <laughs> okay a little earlier no, yeah no. Like, no but it really picked up in like the 60s 70s right no so it, really it, it actually it actually started back in late 1800s yeah. with max planck and then it yeah but i'm saying it picked up like when did like quantum mechanics like people were really talking about quantum no, mechanics. in the 20s like, like, like kind of like niels bohr time yeah right? like einstein 60s, bohr that 60s. was the 20s so, yeah. yeah oh that was the 20 yeah that what was am i in the 60s maybe okay I then I'm, 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 I'm i think i'm a little too late i, don't I think i'm going a little about. too late then sorry sorry continue yeah anyways uh so yeah the history of how things came about and how physics is evolving right now what's going to be mm -hmm. next nobody knows right somebody comes out with mm -hmm. time 2.0 <laughs> right like <laughs> like who knows what, time what's actually gonna and it's gonna like explain literally no, but cool everything thing about, cool thing about gravity waves though is that this thing was predicted like you know back in 1915 and yeah. then it was you know all i mean it was proved well even quantum well i guess quantum mechanics a lot of experiments have been observed to be true so i guess you can say that for that but when talking about like gravity waves, the first real prediction was with the whole black hole merger in 2015, 
right? So like a hundred years after the whole thing, which was kind of like a cool number, mm -hmm. you know, like it was like mm -hmm. a clean hundred. For sure. Was that so the very it was, first? It was kind of interesting, but was that the very well, first? Technically, one? general relativity was 1916, but like it was kind of anyway. No, but uh, all um, of that on that, but yeah. I'm saying like, was that the very first prediction that was confirmed? Yeah, in, in yeah, I mean, in 2015 is when we saw, or not saw, the the black hole picture was later. I'm saying 2015 is when we, yeah, 2015, right? Am, am, am I missing up the date? I'm pretty sure it's 2015. No, I'm, I'm just when the asking first if there's, waves were detected if there's off the any moon, other right? prediction that was confirmed earlier than 2015. Do you know? Oh, I don't believe so, because I think a crazy thing with LIGO. If I'm not missed, yeah, I think a crazy thing with LIGO is that they had actually shut it down for a quite for quite some time. And then when they had come back up, like they had started it back up, two weeks later, they got the black hole merger. Two mm. weeks later, two mm. or three weeks. Like it was really soon, basically, right after they revamped the facility because yeah. like they just wanted to like I think I believe they remodeled the whole thing. So I think this like like that was a pretty cool story. Because it was like so recent, but you know that was still a monumental discovery. And no, yeah. I do not believe it was done before that. All right. Well, before actually yeah, actually talking yeah. about gravitational waves, let's get into the news segment of the week. First of all, yep. we're almost at one hundred and fifty thousand downloads. So thank you so much, everybody Ooh, that has been downloading decent. the podcast. We are also at. 9,900 followers on Spotify. So close to 10,000. Oh my. So By the time 10, this episode comes out, no, no, maybe. no, probably not. Maybe. You think Actually, so? maybe. There's a good chance. But um, what, 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 what I was trying to say is that when we do hit 10K, here's a little sneak peek. We oh, might were be, you telling him? We might be dropping a little bit of merch. Oh, <laughs> yeah that's right a little bit of merch yeah, might drop you. at 10k keep your eyes peeled on instagram yep. at math.physics.podcast yep. for all of the details little <laughs> giveaway <laughs> make sure to make sure to check it out there um also other than than followers and downloads or speaking of make sure to hit that follow button hit that subscribe button sure. hit the like button Hit the comment button, sure. start typing, and then hit enter. I don't know. And uh, yep. also, just, let's do it. yeah, tell uh, hit that bell icon too, right? Or whatever. <laughs> we're that, so good. I mean, we're I so good at this, right? So good. I'm just figuring it out. So the comment of the week this week is quite interesting. Let me just say that mm. it's by none other than Aryan Raj, mm. who says. Wow, wow. <laughs> wow, wow. I, think I just love the comment. I think we're running out of comments comment. here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a very nice comment. For so sure, thank you, sure, Arian, for, sure. for, that, uh, for that comment. Yeah, if and you want to be comment usual, of the week. you know, just all you need to do to be part of the comment of the week is just comment on the most recent uh, episode or... Or to be honest, like even a clip, like if we really like it, like we can still pick it, but yeah. usually we look on the episodes. So, you Definitely. know, comment on there. Let us know and you might be picked for the next comment of the week. Definitely. Who knows? Anyways, space-time curvature. Oh. You hear about it all the time. You okay. say, you hear these fancy physics guys saying, 
space-time is curved by mass but what is actually what's happening okay well space as we know it is three-dimensional and time we consider it as a fourth dimension and then we exist on this four-dimensional manifold and it's not actually the space that's curving right it's it's the space and the time together right that's mm -hmm. curving so mm -hmm. for example one way that you can see like one way that you can like peer into like more complicated topics in physics is to analyze light because light for a very long time and it still is you know pretty mysterious and um it, and it's actually hard to study right because imagine you have no tools and someone was like okay like do an experiment with light it's like all right it's kind of kind of difficult but it is it is for example something that they did do actually when general relativity was hot on the block right just dropped everyone was like all right we need to like we need to see what's actually happening with general relativity they had this this whole event where a bunch of astronomers got together i think it was this whole international thing and they looked at an eclipse of the sun a, a solar eclipse and as predicted by general relativity you could see stars that were actually behind the sun how was that possible well actually the the path that the light took actually went towards the back of the sun right and then curved around it into our eyes and so it was actually one of the first confirmations that you know einstein's theories weren't just you know they weren't just words on on pages it was actually like okay mm -hmm. these stars are supposed to be hidden by the sun but the light that came out of these stars was actually curved around mm -hmm. the path of the light was curved around the sun and so mm -hmm. boom there we go now we know that space-time curvature is actually a thing and another way to think about it is also think about newton right now newton says f equals gmm over r squared mm -hmm. or for those of you that might not be up to date with the latest equations force is proportional to mass right the force of gravity is proportional to mass now mm -hmm. light happens to have no mass mm. so by newton's laws of gravitation light should not be touched by any massive object right or so so gravity should not be able to control light basically is what mm. newton would say however that's not true because remember gravity is not even a force right that's the whole idea behind the paper and i think he puts it in a very succinct way especially with the whole um because it's a very big thing to say you know, Newton was, I mean, not that the force idea is wrong. It's just that Einstein's principles and his understanding of space and his representation of space agrees with Newton, with Newtonian it does, mechanics. It, it does. should. It's not like, gra it's not like you can't use Newton. It's not like it's wrong. It's just that on a fundamental level, that's simply not what gravity is. Mm -hmm. You know, you can calculate the force. You, you, like you can understand it as a force because in that one episode, we spoke about how force and acceleration are related, right? And how acceleration mm -hmm. is the key behind understanding the force. The only reason we say there's a force is because of the acceleration. So Einstein is like, yeah, 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 there's no force. There's still acceleration. 
So that on that relationship is still mm-hmm. there. And that's that Newtonian relationship, that relationship force acceleration, It's still there, but we don't care about the force part. We just care about the acceleration. And mm-hmm. I'm saying the acceleration depends on the mass of the body it's surrounding. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, on earth, now you were even talking about time and how time bends along with this space thing. Right. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, might think, well, that's very interesting. Like, how does time also bend? Well, it's in a very similar fashion. Now, obviously, it's not a physical thing, but it bends in terms of slowing down or speeding up. So when you're near like a massive object like the Earth, for example, a spacecraft, let's say it's traveling completely straight line. There's nothing, absolute vacuum. You're just traveling in space. And then all of a sudden it encounters Earth. The time that the spacecraft experiences while encountering Earth technically is slowed down with respect to earth so earth before when it was in a vacuum versus earth when these guys are actually traveling through it you know in that gravitational field that's when their time slows down so that's how time is also wrapped up in this whole shenanigan right and mm-hmm. that's a very fundamental thing i think that was bi- even bigger of a thing that he proved mm-hmm. how time is related to all and- of to, to space and what I love about this right. entire discussion is that every, well, okay, maybe not every single one, but a lot of these ideas actually stem yeah. from the simple observation that the speed of light is constant. Because I actually read this on Wikipedia, not my words, but the <laughs> speed of light is the conversion factor from space to time or from time to space. And so if you have, like, you know, if you're, if you're you have a constant and it's equal to like this is this is just a, a an example you know to get your brain thinking but if if you have a constant that is equal to let's say x times y just two numbers being multiplied by each other because you know that those are equal to a constant then if x goes up y has to go down and if y goes up x has to go down like they're related in that way you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so for example uh because we know that the speed of light is um constant it's almost like you know the faster you go the slower you experience time and Mm -hmm. you know also the the Mm -hmm. this is just some some special relativity stuff but it's kind of like more of that you always have to keep in mind that the thing that stays constant is light and then the space and time is what bends in a way that in which when like whichever frame you're in light will always stay that constant constant. speed right and Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about this is that it's all observer dependent right because like living in a universe and being in or actually the, the the fact that a universe exists and having observers within that universe is kind of synonymous right if you have a universe yeah. with no observers in it, then does it really exist? Right? It's kind of up in the air because there's nothing right. in it. To is, that, actually... is that classic philosophical <laughs> question? Exactly. You're right. It's pretty You're philosophical. Right. But yeah. like, for example, like this, I, the, my idea is actually getting a little bit philosophical. But no, I'll, let's hear it. Let's no, hear it. I was going to say, like, for example, if I look out into space and I see um, like a certain effect of Mm -hmm. like special general relativity 
would that effect still be a thing if like if nobody was there to see it like this question doesn't really make sense but like would the yeah because the I mean, it's, it's physics... that classic question yeah. right like if a tree falls in a forest is yeah. <clears throat> like did it really fall kind but, of question but with the laws of physics even and there's exist, no observer right yeah. because because special relativity yeah. depends and general relativity it depends on the frame right and it depends mm-hmm. on who's looking but if there's nobody looking then like mm-hmm. what do you even well, yeah, then it doesn't make any point. I mean, when, I mean, then there's no point, though, because if no one's looking, you're not really, yeah, you, I, you don't really care about the system. I, so no, then, I, I mean, it's that. kind of like a, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, I mean, it's not a tautology, but it's kind of like a circular thing because like the, that doesn't make any sense. Contradiction. You know, like yeah, kind of like the, like that kind of vibe, you know? So, I, I mean, I'm not sure how true that is, but the no, biggest difference, I'm though, just, because... I'm just bouncing ideas. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get what you... Yeah, no, but the biggest difference that you you were talking about special relativity, and I mean, we have mentioned this previously before, but because we're talking about it we in this episode, we obviously have to. Special relativity versus general relativity, the biggest difference is that in special, you can literally think about it like a special case. It's a special case. The special case is when the frame of reference that you're in is inertial, meaning that, and we've spoken about this many, many, many times. That means the that means the frame is like not accelerating, or it's uh, it's traveling at constant velocity, or it's at rest, or something like that. Yeah. Right. So the basically the frame is so it's an inertial frame of reference. So that's your special case. Mm-hmm. Then we get general relativity, which is your general case. So that could be even accelerating frames of references, which and that's actually where it pioneers. Things get uh, right? very complicated very quickly. <laughs> Oh, for sure, because it's mainly because of the math, right? It's yeah. mainly the math required for uh, for general relativity is of a higher level, for sure, 100%. So it's just, you know, it's a lot of combination of a lot of things. And I think I think we're going to touch on to some of it, mm-hmm. like the field equations. I know, like, we had that plan mm-hmm. to just talk about it a little bit, so I'm so, going to get into it. But just, uh, it's uh, really crazy, and it could get, it can definitely get exponentially harder, man. Because I believe it's a graduate level course no or of something of that level you can actually take no but the actual general relativity when you is it not no i have the option to take it in in fourth year interesting yeah interesting but that's probably like an introduction i mean you know whatever (laughs) so yeah whatever whatever anyways anyways not not that that matters i just wanted to bring it up it gets complicated (laughs) yeah um basically if we look back at newtonian mechanics it says mm-hmm. nothing about the speed of causality because, first of all, they didn't really know about it in the, at that time. But also, it kind of begs the question, what if a very massive body were to appear somewhere in the universe? Would you feel its gravitational field, like, right away? Or, you know, is there of a speed at which that field actually travels until you feel it as well? And it's the same thing with electrodynamics, like charges. If a charge were to appear, when would you feel the electric field and all that stuff? <clears throat> well, according to Newtonian mechanics, it would be like by assumption, I'm guessing, it would just be instantaneous, right? As soon as you have a body at a certain distance, as Ray said, it's the force is minus GMM over R squared. And so as soon as that body were to appear, you would feel the force because mm-hmm. that's the, you know, you're in that situation yeah. where you can calculate the force immediately. 
but actually gravitational fields travel at the speed of causality, the speed of light. And so according to general relativity, the same situation, you would feel the effects of the gravitational, uh, the space-time curvature, the gravitational force in quotation marks, if you want, at, you know, the speed of light or times the distance or divided by the distance or whatever. The distance divided oh, no, but by yeah, the speed no, no, of no. Don't, don't. It's going to travel yeah. at the speed of light, basically, yeah, is what right. you're trying to say. And so, so if it's like a light minute away, it's going yeah. to take a minute yeah. to come. So you can think of this gravitational like tide, right? I don't want to say wave because we're going to use that word in a, in a little bit. But this like this object is placed in space time and then the, the emanating gravitational tide that's going out mm -hmm. in all directions is moving at the speed of light. And so you can kind of mm -hmm. imagine this as placing like a bowling ball or dropping a bowling ball onto a trampoline. As soon as the bowling ball touches the tarp, then boom, you have this, this wave that goes all the way out to the edge of the trampoline. And if mm. you're somewhere on that trampoline, you're going to feel that wave when it, when it gets to you, not instantaneously. And so that's how you can like imagine it in your head. But um, what I was going to say is that but the whole point of this, of this discussion is that these gravitational fields travel at the speed of light and so and so what happens <laughs> i might i might uh, give this off to ray for a second but what happens when two massive bodies are orbiting each other <laughs> rayon that's when it gets interesting yeah. right so the idea behind these behind these ripples uh, that you were talking about right are basically well why what wh wh what causes them that mm. bowling ball and a trampoline well it's not really how an object is formed in the universe right it doesn't just like yeah pop in, <laughs> just, uh... into, into space time and just create a crazy ripple right yeah so usually these these ripples are these waves now we're oh. gonna come to it these these waves are usually caused by you know gi ginormous events like cataclysmic events usually like supernovae black hole collisions mm. neutron star collisions mergers star mergers galaxy mergers obviously so basically anything that will ripple this fabric that we call space-time right like that that, that that classic trampoline example there but now what's interesting is how do we know they exist how do we know that these ripples can be experienced now here's what's interesting about these ripples where is it actually taking place? It's literally taking place in the fabric of space-time. So what we call space, like this, like this iPad in front of me. And obviously for the listeners, you probably can't see that. But for this iPad in front of me, this space... Probably. Probably. <laughs> so this, this space is what is important. And this is what can be changed and malleable. It can actually be malleable, this space right over here because of an influence of gravitational waves. So the idea behind these gravity waves is basically, okay, if something big happens, it's kind of like, it's, I mean, it's kind of like your simple example of, a, of something in a pond, right? And if you collide any two things or, you know, any, th any two things like in a whirlpool coming together or anything like that, that ripple effect that they will give out will basically be seen, in, if, if it's a very clear pond, it'll be seen on the whole pond. 
right? Now, obviously, because of like earthly effects and stuff, it diminishes. But in reality, if it was a perfect system, that would, that would, the ripple would go on forever. So the idea of the gravity wave is very, very, very similar. And it propagates, as you were talking, as, as you were saying, at the speed of light. So whenever, this, whenever such, such a cataclysmic event occurs, it will reach us, however far that is, right, at the speed of light. And what's interesting, again, is because this is traveling at the speed of light, and, and remember, what it's doing is that it's really moving space-time, there is a way for us to measure this mm. movement. And that is when we get into... Uh, well, what I want you to do lagging. right now is close yes. your eyes. Do you feel <laughs> your body right now just moving and, and, and rippling with these <laughs> gravitational waves? No, you don't, okay? That's the Not really, moral no. of the story. Really. No, you don't. Um, because really. these waves are actually stemming from an event very, very far away. For example, two black holes orbiting each other. And so due to the conservation of momentum, the closer they get, the faster they spin, the faster these waves are emanating away from mm. this, this binary pair. And eventually they do actually collide and they cause this gigantic outburst of gravitational wave all around and so that's what you know we have simulations predicting the the shapes of these of these wave detections and all that stuff and we're going to get into that in a second because there are some actually very interesting things to talk about um what i was going to say is that right very far away right and so obviously if you're very close, if you're right next to these two black holes, you, you will definitely feel these gravitational waves, okay? But uh, sure. obviously, the further away you are, the, the more precise you have to be, right? You need, mm -hmm. you need very, very um, precise, what's the word I'm looking for? Like technologically advanced tools in order to actually um, detect like very small ripples in space-time. And so mm -hmm. before we actually talk about those tools, do you actually, do you like gravity, Rehan? I really do. I think I, I really listen, do. I love talking about gravity. I love learning about gravity. And guess what? I do too. If you're a listener out there and you love talking about gravity and learning about gravity, head on over to brilliant.org. They actually have really? courses on gravitational energy, orbits in a gravity well, and get this, the fate of the universe, colon, how gravity will affect the future. These sound That's like exactly what I was amazing for. courses. Of course, all of, all of uh, Brilliant's courses are all, you know, interactive. They teach you, they ask you questions, you learn. They also have daily challenges, mm -hmm. which are always good for building that brain thinking, critical thinking ability. So yeah, head on over to brilliant.org. You can also check us out, link in the description below and link also in the comments section because I know some people appreciate that actually. Or you can just head over to brilliant.org slash MPP and the first 200 people that sign up, get this, Get 20% off their oh first premium my. year. 20% oh off. That's pretty crazy, right? That's pretty crazy. Beautiful. So head on over. 
to brilliant.org slash MPP or link in the description and go get yourself a premium subscription. Really worth it. Definitely. So right. getting back into how these detect or what these techno what this technology is that can really detect these these uh, very small changes in space because even though we're talking about it like oh it's a cataclysmic event the reality is it's probably moving like the width of like one like one one hundredth of one or one one thousandth of of a proton wow like that's how much the space is really moving so the space so it's very 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 tiny i'm talking like 10 to the minus like 17 18 meters hmm. minus 18 meters so hmm. that's a lot of zeros so basically the point of the saying is even though we are hyping it hyping these gravitational waves up as something that would be like you know destroy all buildings it really won't mm -hmm. and that's and that could actually be taken as a problem so how do we detect these mm -hmm. things that you know are are vibrating at widths smaller than that of a proton how do we do that and i think we actually talked a tiny bit about this with our quantum mechanics professor who was on I think it was episode number 43. Don't quote me on that. Um, but we have what is called LIGO in the US. There's actually two observatories, two LIGO observatories called, and LIGO stands for Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. And what, yes, what, what does LIGO look like? Well, essentially, there's these two perpendicular arms that are actually four kilometers long. Imagine mm -hmm. that. You, you want to go on a run? I wouldn't even be able to go back and forth. <laughs> Maybe if I tried. But the, like four kilometers, like you probably can't see the end of it, right? If you're if you're standing on one end. Oh, no, you no, see you the can't. Other end. It's really far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so these these arms essentially mm -hmm. are just perpendicular. arms. Yeah, perpendicular. Yeah. They're essentially just chambers for for shooting a laser through Ooh. through the chambers and then they have mirrors where the laser bounces back and forth and rayhan why don't you tell us about how we actually detect these waves so for that we got to start with interferometry mm. the basic understanding of interference of waves so interferometry as it's named aptly named is basically the study or, or experimentation with interference of waves so something very interesting that we know about waves and we know now light are, is also represented as waves. And something very interesting we know about these waves is that they interfere with one another. So we put two light waves together at the same amplitude at zero phase shift or like together basically. They will double in amplitude. So it will amplify the light wave. But now let's say I send one of the light waves just a tad bit later. It, or, or, or not later in time, but like it's technically a phase shift. It's like the distance at where it's sent. It's not, it's, it's not a time, sorry. But if, if I do that, the, the amplitudes or the waves will be perfect enough to basically cancel each other out completely. Mm -hmm. And this is known as destructive and constructive interference, something I, I believe, as you said, we, mm -hmm. we've spoken about various, various times before. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a fundamental property of all waves. All waves interfere, and they interfere constructively or destructively. And so now let's get into this idea. What is, what is the idea of LIGO? Yeah. So remember when we were talking about space-time curvature? 
another way mm-hmm. like not another way but maybe like um a property of curvature is that it can stretch and compress things mm-hmm. that is that is because when you think of curvature I know some people maybe think of like two-dimensional curvature where you're like literally like bending like something, you know, like that. But in, in fact, compressing and stretching is a form of like three-dimensional 3D. curvature, right? 3D. So remember, yeah. as, as Ray just said, we're talking about light waves. Now, the frequency of light, the, the wavelength of light is very, very small. We're talking, you know, hundreds of nanometers, okay? And we're talking about a distance right we we have we have light traveling you know uh back and forth reflecting off of mirrors tens of kilometers right actually reflecting mm. a lot more than the, the total well, yeah we'll yeah, get into anyways. that anyways yeah we'll get into that the, the point is that imagine we send two beams of light and on <laughs> on one way the light gets stretched and the other light gets compressed. And, you know, it's a combination of both and everything at the same time. But mm-hmm. as we're recording the intensity of the light, we see that at one moment, they are constructively interfering. So we get like a spike mm-hmm. in our detection. And then a little, a little time, like a very, very, very small amount of time passes. And then suddenly it's destructive and then constructive and then destructive and constructive. So what's actually happening is that the distance while the light is traveling through these chambers it's being the wavelength right is being compressed stretched compressed and stretched and so because of the compression exactly, of space because of the gravity as as the gravitational waves are passing through the observatory it's stretching and compressing space and we actually are able to see this by the detection of this interference of the light mm-hmm. going up and down up and down up and down and yeah so how does it work that's the big question right how does this thing work so this the idea stems from something known as a michelson morley or from the michelson morley experiment and it's known as a michelson interferometer the idea that they use so the michelson morley experiment just a quick history lesson here pretty cool one where michelson and morley very clearly (laughs) wanted to prove that that space was not empty there was something called an ether that they had thought about that persists through all of space-time. And with this understanding of this ether, it needed to have traveled in a singular direction. So they devised this experiment, this interferometer, to basically test if this is true. So what they did was they set arms of equal length perpendicular to one another, where basically they would send light and force it to destructively interfere. Now, if it was destructive or constructive, I'm I'm not mistake I'm I'm not entirely sure, but it's basically it's just it's the same thing. It's just they wanted to measure a change in that intensity. So what they designed it to be, let's just say for now, was destructive interference. That means if let's say it moves in a certain way, theoretically what should happen is that we should see no light. That means they perfectly align. That means this width is exactly equal to this width. What I'm trying to show is the perpendicular widths are equal and therefore no ether exists. Or if there was an interference, they would prove that the ether does exist because one of them is traveling faster than the other. That means there's something pushing it in one of the directions. Now, this experiment, I mean, obviously failed. The ether does not actually exist. But the idea of this experiment, the interferometer and the way that they set it up was what was beautiful. 
So LIGO, very similar to this setup, just a little bit different, is basically very similar to this, uh, to this interferometer where it has two perpendicular arms. However, four kilometers might seem a lot to us Earthlings, but for gravity waves where their ch uh, change in space is on the order of 10 to the negative 17 meters, right? Four kilometers is nothing. So what they did to amplify that they added these things, little technical here, called fabry pero cavities. Fancy way of saying they added a mirror. <laughs> That's basically what they did. So traditionally, what the setup is, I, I, didn't, I, I don't even think I really went through this, but there's a light, there's a, there's a laser, sorry. There's a beam splitter that basically splits the light in two perpendicular directions, right? That one light ray splits in two, one, one going parallel and one going perpendicular, right? That's what a beam splitter does. Then the mirror, the mirrors on the other side of the arms, will basically reflect that light back into the beam splitter, and then it will direct it towards the photo detector, which will then see if there was an interference of light. Now, again, as I said, the four kilometers, not enough. So what they did was they added extra mirrors such that once it hit the beam splitter, it would go to the edge of the mirrors on the arms. It would reflect back and forth over 300 times. Hmm and then come back to the beam splitter and re-meet at the photo detector. So the idea behind LIGO and what they set up, they set it up, and this I know for a fact, so that it was destructive interference. So at all times, there was nothing seen on the photo detector. Because remember, to see something just a little bit out of absolutely nothing is easier than to see something less out of something. Because if it was constructively interfering, right and they had detected a gravity wave it would just it would just destruct by just a little bit you know just a little bit so it would be really hard to detect but if it was destructive interference to begin with and the gravity wave had come in just a little bit would have actually produced something so you would be able to see that a lot easier so that was their idea behind this whole thing and in 2015 as i mentioned a little bit after they had revamped the whole facility they have two facilities, by the way, one in uh, one in Livingston and one in Hanford. And both of them must agree with each other because, again, sometimes it can just be an earthquake or it can be something specific to that area that's not really general. That's why they have these two facilities. And they're thinking about expanding, I believe, to India. I think that's another country that's going to get it. So something like that. It's going to be crazy. But anyways, the idea is basically to verify that the information is right. And what they did was... When this gravity wave occurred in 2015, basically the movement of space-time. Remember, it's not like it happens like, it, it, I mean, it does, well, technically. But the thing is, it's all about catching it. It's all about timing it. Because this gravity wave actually occurred for fractions of a millisecond. In that millisecond, they had discovered, they had seen a spike, as in some something was detected at the photo detector. And then it basically went back to what the what the regular noise levels were. So if you actually search for LIGO results, it's a very, very famous picture. You might be able to see it from any, any, any Google search. You'll be able to see what I'm kind of talking about, how it's kind of the spike and then it dies down a little bit. And it's a little more complicated because there are actually two, there are actually two sightings. But the idea again behind it was that moving, that space-time, as Parker, as you were saying, that movement of space-time is what caused one of those arms to shrink a little more than the other. And that's basically what caused some of that interference. And that's how it works. That's mm -hmm. the workings of LIGO. And so... Super, super crazy. The way we actually know that it's 
gravitational waves and not just anything else is that yeah. we have simulations right we have very very fancy computers where we can you know input the mass of you know black hole a black hole b and then mm. you know simulate what would happen what we should detect if you know if it was at this distance away from the earth and the we were like witnessing the event of them colliding together and then we have like a specific shape for the wave and then we can also test different events like neutron stars rotating mm -hmm. um in like a binary pair and all that stuff and it turns out that you know uh we we see the exact right results uh in these in these merger sightings with with the LIGO observatory but it was very very close yeah yeah one thing that you know Rehan and I we were taking an astro intro to astrophysics this year and we had somebody mm -hmm. come on to our in our class and talk about LIGO and gravitational waves and all that stuff and one thing that I remember from that from that lecture was that you know there was this um this diagram with uh like black hole mass versus uh distance or something like that anything um and and also the color represented how it was detected mm -hmm. um and essentially it was like before we had ligo we had just like medium mass black holes some massive ones but it was really it, it was not populated like that at all then what happened was that uh you know as soon as ligo started popping off we started seeing a lot of these black hole events it turns out that the gravitational waves that they were analyzing were a little bit weird and the reason is because they were only analyzing a certain interval for the, the possible masses right they're like oh we're probably not going to see black holes bigger than this and so we're gonna mm -hmm. you know cut it in between this interval and then see what we should be seeing and what they were actually seeing is you know the the waves were a little bit off they're like okay whatever and then at some point somebody said hey what if we try higher mass black holes and all of a sudden the waves started matching they started checking out and so uh, I don't remember exactly what the figure is, but I think like the biggest black hole we we had seen was like 80 times or like 50 times the mass of our sun. And then all of a sudden we have like one that's 100, 120. And then as time goes on, we were like, we were actually finding more and more of these massive black holes through these, these gravitational waves. And so now, like, there was two, obviously, there's, like, an updated version of the diagram. You see a whole bunch mm -hmm. of these black holes at the top part of the mass spectrum, all, all being detected via gravitational wave observation. So I thought that was pretty amazing. They've detected, like, some, they've detected, I see here, 67 mergers. Yeah. 67 mergers to date. So, like, neutron, neutron star, neutron black hole star. Mm -hmm. They've like they've 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 seen some pretty cool stuff, because, I mean, I would just imagine like a neutron black hole merger. I mean, obviously they didn't really see that, but even detecting something like that, like comparing it to prediction, that must be like, yeah, yeah that must be like a really I mean, good feeling. You know? I mean, it's kind of like, you you stop and think about like, like where is this gonna lead us in the future? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, now we know that there's like big black holes. 
but like you know like what are we going to do with that information well let's first back up a little bit and talk about well how did we even think of black holes to begin with ooh ooh what a question mm-hmm. this qu- i mean i mean i will be answering it so don't worry so how did we even think of the idea of black holes and i think this is a kind of a kind of a nice one so um not really think of the idea but i'm going to say more mathematically speaking this was more of a mathematical idea of the black hole and i'll get to that so in 1915 after the genius himself releases his uh paper on general relativity along with einstein's field equations his famous very very famous field equations he has his very famous i mean i'm not sure how many of you have maybe seen the field equation formula but it's basically a bunch of you know gibberish to anyone who's not like a doctorate or 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 or, or some or some level of <clears throat> some level of academic right so basically the idea the idea the gist of the field equation is that it relates something two very important things it re- on one side of the field equations is what's represented by mass energy what's known as stress so what is so in let's say some area of space what is the mass what's the energy so th- all of that is dictated by again i don't want to get too complicated because the the math is a little complicated but it it um it's basically represented everything in the in the formula is represented by tensors which are basically higher dimensional vectors also known as matrices so all of these things are basically in a matrix and they're representing different properties of the space so they're representing as i was talking about so one side of the equation again represents mass energy stuff like that properties of the of the space the other side of the equation represents curvature of the space. So what does that mean? That basically means what he's doing is he's relating the curvature of space-time to the mass and energy. So like the more mass, the more energy that a system has, for example, the sun versus the earth, the more curvature it will therefore have, which is what we see, right? And that relationship is what's very important, right? That's that's the relationship what's very important. Now, this guy releases it in 1915. 6 months later, before even einstein himself really goes about solving these equations carl schwarzschild comes out and he's like yo i got a solution and he's like what do you mean he's like i got a really crazy solution i found a mathematical proof for an area of space with infinite curvature man and people are like what <laughs> What does that even mean? What does infinite curvature mean? How is that possible? Because remember, it relates curvature to mass and energy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's basically relating. So he's basically saying that there is an area of space with particular properties that will result in infinite curvature. And what he was, I think my video is okay. That's fine. I think it just glitched out for a second. Oh, and what he, what was I saying? <clears throat> and what he inevitably proved. was the first mathematical idea of a singularity a gravitational singularity a singularity as in a a point in space that has infinite curvature that is infinitely curved so it's kind of like a theoretical concept almost mm-hmm. right and this was the first notion of a black hole right the, the, every black hole has 
inherently a singularity. And that whole idea, again, if the idea itself, maybe it was, to, to be honest, maybe sprung before, but at least the mathematical idea of a singularity was first after the field equations. And I think that was a beautiful thing that he did there because that truly got us thinking about, you know, infinite curvature. How does that make sense? And then we start, you know, generalizing these things called black holes. Imagine back in like 1920 saying that, hey, there's a point in space that'll suck you in. <laughs> like... You can't even perceive that, you know what I mean? Because it just made no sense. But now, look at where we are. But it's it's so interesting, like black holes in general. Like, yeah, you think about I agree. You think about a black hole. The size of a black hole is a, a zero, right? <laughs> but the reason why we actually see an empty black dot is simply the physical properties of the black hole. That infinite mm -hmm. curvature means that. At some point, like, you know, those funnels when you like donate money in those things and then the money like goes Perfect. around, yeah. right? <laughs> like there's a point where where like photons is like that money that you put in and, you know, they it could like if it's going if it's far enough away, right? The curvature is is not that intense. It'll curve, mm. but keep going. There's also at the Schwarzschild radius, the photon sphere where mm. it'll curve and it'll just orbit like the photons will be satellites <laughs> to to the black Basically. hole and just orbit Basically. there you know until something happens i guess mm -hmm. um but mm -hmm. if you go past the photon sphere then like the the slope is too slippery for anything right as soon as you as soon as you pass the photon sphere you know the, the it, there's like there's oil you know you can't you can't get out. Can't leave. You're just can't you're, leave. You're, you're going on down on ice. Mm -hmm. Your your faith interestingly is, is, enough, uh, in a black hole, the more you struggle, the faster you go down. Mm -hmm. Just by the way that space is constructed, the same. I mean, even though inevitably you will die, the slowest way to die would be to stay completely still. Now, not that any of us are really going in a black hole anytime soon, but uh, it was just an interesting thing that I had read somewhere because the whole idea of a black hole is pretty cool. Because a fundamental thing that it does, and I think we've spoken about this before, and I, I know we're just kind of getting at the black holes here a little bit, mm -hmm. but I just wanted to talk about the whole idea of spaghettification because yeah. I think it's really Wait, funny. Before you say that, I just want to say something that's really interesting is that as you're okay. approaching a black hole, right? Like you, when you cross the Schwarzschild radius, you don't feel anything, right? Because it's it's empty space, right? So so as as you're approaching a black hole. What you see is like there's a there's a, a black sphere in front of you and then the universe is everywhere else where you see like stars and galaxies. As you cross the photon sphere, your field of vision actually becomes 50-50. In front of you, like if you look to the if you look to the left and you look to the right, it'll be split. Even if you look up or down, in front of you will be completely black and behind you will be universe. And when you mm -hmm. enter the black hole, and you turn around, it's like the opposite as when you were outside of the black hole. What happens is that your entire field of vision is black. And when you look behind you, there's this sphere that is the entire universe that is slowly shrinking and shrinking into nothingness as you approach the center of the black hole. So there's kind of this awesome, like, like, you know, uh, like, I, I want to compare this to like particle and antiparticle, right? Like when you're outside of the mm -hmm. black hole, there's universe, black hole. 
And when you're inside mm-hmm. of the black hole, there's black hole universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the coolest thing about all this is that even though the light is so wonky, it's still traveling in straight lines yeah. with respect to itself. Because <laughs> it's just that space is so wonky in a black hole. And it's so curved that technically, by the definition of straight line it is traveling in a straight line it's just that the line itself has now been curved Mm -hmm. which is really interesting you know how you can make that classic line a circle so it's it's basically that whole thing all over and it's so cool because i think i was i was listening to this one wasn't it in a black hole where like you can see your you can for the first you can like see the back of your head when you're on the photon sphere and you can see the back of your head because the the photons are orbiting so you know it goes like around and into your so eyes. cool man but one like, thing that's so super up. interesting is you know time dilation when you're in a strong gravitational field your your yeah. time slows down if it does. if let's say rayhan you go into a black hole oh no according to me here on earth you would be immortalized because in my perspective your time has dilated to infinity and so you would just like I would be long gone before, and you would just still be chilling in the black hole, you know. So that's why the interesting thing about it is you no, know, but also another interesting thing about if you're like looking at someone move into a black hole, you'll just see them there basically stagnant, yeah, until they die because yeah. until they basically just well, once they but like once they because of how it cross the Schwarzschild radius, mm. you wouldn't be able to see like any update, right? Because yeah, any update, yeah. but you'll still see that same image because yeah, the light, before, the light before it. It crosses. Before, yeah. exactly. Before it went in, mm-hmm. right? And that's the whole cool concept behind this. Like the whole uh, the whole notion of, uh, yeah. you know, this whole thing is pretty yeah. is pretty fundamental. And it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. It's cool. So For to sure. those uh, listening right now, I hope you enjoyed this discussion on gravitational waves, the, the force of gravity slash space-time curvature, and black holes. Um, what was I just going to say? I was literally just going to say something before I botch that whole thing oh yeah no you're right you were gonna say something and i interrupted you and I... <laughs> no i was talking about spaghettification yeah, that. Yeah, no, that had nothing right, to do with it right. but i wanted to talk about oh yeah time dilation a cool thing about that did you know if you stand near the pyramids your time is moving slower than mine yeah, just so the pyramids, right? I mean, I say the pyramids because it's a very massive object. But anything really very massive, if technically you're standing near it, believe it or not, obviously to fractions of seconds that you can't even perceive, mm-hmm. but your time is actually traveling, or your time is being dilated. So it is, yeah, it is. It is being stretched. So you're basically traveling in a slower field mm-hmm. because. Not of a gravitational field or anything like that. No, force simply because of mass. Mm. Because of how mass curves space. And how when you're in that space, your time is now also dependent on that curved space. And that original discussion about how, you know, just how, how time is bending and bent time versus bent space and understanding that, that relationship Amazing. is pretty cool. Because we were thinking like, or at least I was thinking, how a higher dimensional being could cross a time barrier? Isn't that be possible? I don't know. <laughs> that, that is a discussion. I don't know. For I just, I just had time. a random thought right now. I just had that super random thought while talking about yeah. bending time. Yeah. I'm just like, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's a thought. Yeah. It's maybe a thought. those five dimensional aliens will. Uh, maybe. Will cross yeah. our, our little thin, our thin four dimensional little universe in their in their world 
But anyways. Let's see, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for those aliens. So, yeah, if you enjoyed listening <laughs> to this episode today, make yep. sure to hit the follow button, subscribe make button, sure. the like button. It's calling All the your buttons. name. It's, it's literally calling your name. Just do it. Other than that, make sure to leave a comment. Any suggestions? What we should talk about? I keep saying this late. I keep saying this last because people already probably click out by the time this happens. Because like they, sh- I should always say this first. Did you know that like forty five? No, no, no. I think it's fifty five percent of our watchers are not subscribed to us. Damn. I gotta mention this again in the beginning yeah. next time because again, yeah. we probably have no viewers actually watching yeah. this right now. But hopefully, if you are, just click subscribe. Wow. Fifty five percent of you aren't subscribed. Why not? So, just yeah. A little bit. Um, this has yeah. been. Episode number 66 of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. We'll see you soon. Bye, guys.